13. This is the first time I've ever taught or preached on this passage. So it's kind of fun for me to to break new ground, uh, but uh, it's interesting. I read it, and I read it again, read some more, and I thought, hmm, interesting little passage. Uh, Before we jump into Luke 13, first nine verses, uh, I want to read some recent headlines from uh, from the news to you. Uh, Friday, you probably heard, if you're a news person at all, uh, a disgruntled worker at a factory in Kansas that makes lawn care equipment. Uh, He was at work. He was laughing and joking. One of his friends said... Uh, went away, came back with a gun and opened fire on his co-workers, killing three, wounding 14, 10 of them in critical condition. The shooter was also killed by police. Now, when, when you hear stuff like that, how, how do you explain violence like that? How, how, do, you, how do you process that? Um, and, and then... I ask questions, maybe some of you do too. Uh, what was it with the three that got killed? Did, did they do something wrong? Uh, were they being judged by God? Uh, or those ten who were uh, wounded and in critical condition, uh, did they deserve this kind of suffering that they're going through? Uh, last week, a court in China sentenced a Protestant pastor to 14 years in prison and the pastor's wife 12 years in prison. I was wondering why she only got 12. But I, that's, that's a different bunny trail. But, uh, and their crime, here's, here's their crime, here's why they were sentenced. They refused to remove a cross from their church building. And the punishment for refusing to remove the cross, it was a house church, was sentenced 14 years, uh, pastor and 12 years, his wife. How do you explain those prison sentences? How do we? How should we? Uh, and then, you know, then again, you, you wonder, were, were they living in sin? Was this like God uh, give, getting back at them? Were there some secret sin in their lives? Why did they have to go to jail? What did they do to deserve this? One more. Last week on Tuesday, seven tornadoes swept across Louisiana and Mississippi. I don't know if you remember on Tuesday, but if you were uh, looking at the news at all, they were talking about this horrible storm front. Anyway, two people were killed when a tornado ripped through an RV park in Convent, Louisiana. Thirty people were injured. Seven of them were still in critical condition. And then just across the state line in Purvis, Mississippi, a man died when his mobile home, perhaps even by the same tornado, was totally demolished. So, again, how do you explain storms that tear through and kill people and dozens and dozens of people are injured? And Were, were those three people the worst sinners in their area? What do you think? Is it like they were such bad sinners that God had to send a tornado to get them? Did, did they deserve their misery and their suffering? 
believe it or not, <laughs> the Lord Jesus is going to answer uh, much of what we're just mentioning today in the passage we're going to look at. So we're in Luke chapter 13. Uh, some really awful things happened in Jesus' day, and the people wanted to know, um, hey Jesus, what did these people do wrong that they were facing all of this pain and suffering and death? Uh, so that sort of thing happened back in Jesus' day as well. Would you please stand with me if you're able? Let's read from the newspaper of Jesus' day. And as we read, pay attention to the answer that Jesus gives them. We'll start at verse 1, read down through verse 9. Here we go. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're going to need your help today, because uh, this is uh, kind of a uh, complicated passage, so... Would you come today and uh, open up our minds and help us to think clearly about what it is you're teaching us today from your book? We do live in a world where the headlines are constantly screaming at us that something awful and tragic has occurred. Lord, my prayer is that you'll teach us this morning from your book what your son Jesus has to say to us regarding life's pain, life's suffering, and death. Lord, may your word and may your Holy Spirit be welcome today in your church. And uh, we just want to pause specifically, individually, like we just sang, that, that your Holy Spirit would be welcome today, individually into our hearts, our minds, our wills. So uh, we want to choose right now to slide off the throne. We're not going to be in charge of our life right now. We want to invite your son Jesus to come and be king. And Lord, we want to uh, choose not to be driving our lives. Uh, we're going to choose right now not to be in charge of where we head and what we think. Lord, we choose to slide over to the passenger seat. We invite your son Jesus and his spirit to come and take charge. You, you come and take us where we need to go this morning. 
We're grateful to be with brothers and sisters, with family. And uh, we're glad that we have the family of Jesus Christ to walk through life with. Lord, uh, come and meet us today as we worship you, as we study your book. And all the church gathered at Walloon said as one. You may be seated. Luke 13, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus is walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. Okay, so they're traveling, and it seems that there was a large group of people that just liked to follow Jesus around. They were amazed. They wanted to, to watch him in action. They wanted to hear him teach and speak. And apparently, somebody in the crowd had a uh, copy of the Galilee Gazette. I'm sure that was there at that time. And the headline of the Galilee Gazette said this, Pontius Pilate slaughters Galileans. Pontius Pilate slaughters Galileans and uh, it got everybody's attention. Seems likely they had some uh, Galileans who traveled to Jerusalem. Uh, clearly, they were zealots. They didn't like Rome. They didn't like what Rome was all about. Uh, and they were caught either during or before they acted. Uh, probably some form of... Uh, acting against Rome, maybe even attacking guards. Uh, so anyway, track with me. To send a message to these rebels and other would-be rebels, uh, after they were killed, here's what Pilate did. He took some of their blood, and then he took some of the blood of the goats and the lambs, and he mixed it all together, and he said to the Jews, okay, now, now sacrifice with, with your own blood. Uh, the blood of these would-be assassins, these zealots, these uh, folks who want to wage war against Rome. Do you understand what's going on here? This would be like the ultimate act of hatred and apostasy towards the Jews. Pilate was like rubbing their faces in it and saying, Oh, really? You Jews want to behave this way? Well, uh, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. And he knew that what was most sacred to them was the temple and the sacrificial system. And now he takes the blood of these Galileans who were messing with Rome and he basically just rubs it all together and says, okay, now that will be your offering, the blood of your very own people. Um, historian Josephus writes quite a bit about Pontius Pilate and the Jews. And... Uh, in case you didn't know, Pilate hated and despised the Jews. He was the Roman governor from 26 A.D. to 36 A.D. And the Jews, in response to the fact that Pilate didn't like them, they hated and despised Pontius Pilate right back. So there was no love between the Jews and Pilate. Uh, Josephus records at one point... Uh, Pilate went in, sent some of his guards, and they busted into the treasury in the temple, and he stole lots of money. 
We don't know exactly how much, but it was enough money to build an aqueduct. So you can imagine this was money given by the Jews to the temple, paying the temple taxes to take care of the temple activities. And now Pilate busts in there. He needed some cash. He steals that money, and then he builds an aqueduct. Uh, again, they, they hated it. He came in and he painted Roman symbols right there in the temple. And from the Jews' perspective, that was blasphemy. And despite their protests, too bad, get used to it, build a bridge, get over it, touch the Roman symbols, and I'll touch you with death. So, uh, they didn't like each other. Pilate didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like Pilate. Always rebellion, always strife, always controversy going on. So again, to make his point, he knew the most sacred thing was the temple and the sacrifices. We'll just take the blood of these, these would-be rebels and we'll mix it in with, with all of the goats and the lambs and we'll see how you like that. Take that, Jews. And again, the outrage, the venom, the anger. Uh, Pilate would have been the most hated man on the planet to the Jews at this point. So they hated him for what he stood for. So, anyway, the folks following Jesus said, Did you hear what happened? What do you think? We want your opinion, Jesus. Verse 2. Here's, uh, here's what Jesus says. Um, Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Interesting question, huh? Do you think they were like the worst people in all of Galilee and that's why they uh, had their blood mixed with the blood of the lamb and the goats? Um, do you think they were being judged by God? Um, do you think that they brought this suffering on themselves? What do you think, Jesus says? Um, and now they're thinking, you know what? I think it could be true. Give me your eyes. Jewish theology at this time taught this. Individual, individual suffering comes from individual sin. So if you're a sinner and you're doing wrong, you can expect that you're going to suffer for it. They believed that someone who was suffering great tragedy must have been guilty of some great sin. And did you know some of us still think that way? Anytime anything bad happens, you're going, really, God, what did I do wrong this time? What, what, is, it? what is it that I've done that I'm enduring this suffering and this pain? So I just want you to understand that kind of thinking still tracks today. Turn with me to John chapter 9. I want to show you something. John chapter 9. Jesus deals with this very same subject there. As Jesus went along, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. In other words, this guy was born blind. His disciples asked him, Hey, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Just pause for a moment. Diana, think about it. They believe this so much that if there's something bad happens, somebody sinned, they thought maybe the baby sinned in the womb. And the reason that he was born blind is because that baby did some bad things when he was in his mama's womb. That's how much they believed in this thinking. 
Or could it be that the parents did something really bad and that's the reason that this young man was born blind? I'm telling you, some of us still think that way. Anything bad happens. God, why are you punishing me? Why is this happening to me? What, what did I do? Why am I guilty? I, I must have done something awful. Now, time out. Sometimes what we sow is what we what? But that's not always true. Okay? So there, it is true. Sometimes when we sow bad stuff, we reap bad stuff. That is true. But I want you to look at verse 3 because that's not always true. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 3, here's his answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened. What happened? He was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. <laughs> in just a few moments, Jesus is going to heal the man of his blindness. Okay? Now, go back with me. Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 3. And here, Jesus really gives the same answer. Um, uh, were these Galileans worse sinners than anybody else? Were they suffering because they did something awful? Verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you, what's the answer? No, no, they weren't the worst sinners. They aren't suffering because they were horrible people. But then notice what he says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And if I was in that crowd, I would have said, huh? What are, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean by that? I don't get it. I, I'm not tracking with you. Okay? So just go back. We're asking you, Jesus, about the headline in the newspaper, Galileans slaughtered by Pilate. Jesus, you said, no, they're not the worst sinners in Galilee. But what do you mean? Turns to the crowd following him. They're heading to Jerusalem, but he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you guys repent, you too are going to perish. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Tragedy happens to all people. Death happens. Bad things happen. Children are born blind, blind excuse me, because we live in a fallen and a sinful world. And bad things happen even to the most godly people. You need to catch this. Even the most committed to Jesus people there are, sometimes bad stuff happens. That's the reality. But Jesus is saying, look at verse 3. Here's the key thing. What happens after you die is the most important thing. He's asking the crowd. He's saying, have you repented and turned from your sin? Have you, have you repented and come running to me? Are you ready for what happens after you die? That's the key question, verse 3. That's the most important. You're all wrapped up in the headline, and I'm telling you, the key thing is, after these Galileans died, what happens then? Are they ready to face their maker? You know, we're asking about the people who died in these tornadoes down south. We're wondering about those people shot in Kansas. Here's the truth. You ready? All of us are sinners. Every man, woman, child on earth. Romans 3.23. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
Here's the most important question Jesus says. Look at verse 3. Have you repented and said yes to Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and realized you need a solution to your sin problem? I need what you did for me, Jesus, in my life. That's the most important question to answer. Because as awful as Pilate's slaughter was of the Galileans, give me your eyes, the most important thing is after those Galileans died, where will they spend eternity? Where, where are they going to spend all of eternity? Are, are they going to be in the presence of Jesus or are they going to be facing eternal punishment, which is far worse? Okay. Now, just in case the crowd didn't get it. It's like, just in case you don't understand, Jesus says, I'm going to give you another example. So here we go, verse 4. Here's another example. Uh, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Jesus uh, says, remember that headline in the Jerusalem Post a few weeks ago? Remember when we read about the construction accident that happened in Jerusalem? Remember when that crane collapsed and 18 people died? And I'm sure that was a huge headline. They were thinking, oh yeah. We remember, everybody was talking about that. We couldn't believe 18 people died in that construction accident. Now, now notice verse 4, look at it. Here's the question. Does that mean those were the 18 worst sinners in all of Jerusalem? Did, did God arrange that the absolute worst of the worst, the absolute worst sinners in all of the city, they just happened to be underneath that construction area when it collapsed? That was the common thinking in this day. Those 18 must have done something awful. They must be guilty of some awful sin because otherwise this wouldn't have happened to them. Remember Job's friends? We're using the word friends very loosely right there. Remember Job's uh, um, acquaintances? Uh, Job 4, verse 7, here's what they said. Uh, Who being innocent has ever perished? Uh, who, who and where were the upright ever destroyed? Because uh, they thought if you die tragically or if you ever have anything awful, destructive happened, you deserved it. Job 8.4, here, here's a real nice encouraging thing they said. When your children sinned against God, Job, that's when God gave them the penalty of death. Can you imagine? The guy's sitting there, he's crying, he's suffering, he's lost everything, all of his children have died. And, and his friend says, you know when your children died, they got the penalty they deserved, Job. Because they deserved it, because they're sinners. Here's what Jesus is saying, um, excuse me, but when accidents and tragedy strikes... You're judging people. You're assuming, well, they died, something bad happened. They must be suffering because they're great sinners. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, no. <laughs> I tell you, no. I'm telling you that's not the way it is. I'm not, I'm not telling you that's what's always true. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So when we hear about a shooting that takes place in Kalamazoo or we hear another suicide bomber has blown himself up 
in Afghanistan or Pakistan or Iraq, um, when we hear that a, a tsunami has wiped out thousands uh, in, in Southeast Asia, it's easy for us to think, well, I, I think those people must be awful. I, I think those people must deserve what they're getting. They must have been great sinners there in Iraq or Afghanistan or Kalamazoo because they got what they deserved. And Jesus is saying, excuse me, but when you hear about suffering and death, the first thing you think about shouldn't be about judging them whether or not they're sinners or not. Track with me. Instead, the first thing you, you should think about is me. I hear bad news. I hear awful things have No. You're in the faith. Uh, Paul is talking. And he's saying, test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I don't want, want to ask anybody if you've ever failed a test, but you see my hand there, I'll admit to it. This is a test you don't want to fail. Right, teens? This is the test you don't want to fail. Because if you fail this test, that means the lake of fire. That means everlasting judgment. Got it? So this is like the test you don't want to fail. Now go back to Luke 13, and here's what it says. Verse 3 and verse 5, I tell you no, unless you... What's the key word there? Uh, verse 5, slide down. I tell you no, but unless you... Unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent, you're going to perish, and you're no better off than these people that you're talking to me about. Um, I like how Pastor James McDonald defines repentance. Um, he says, here's repentance. Repentance is a recognition of sin, followed by a heartfelt sorrow culminating in a change of behavior. 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10. Let me say it again. Repentance is, first of all, I'm a sinner. I realize I am a sinner. Just like I'm thinking about those Galileans, those people who the tower fell on, anybody who's had... I'm a sinner too, followed by heartfelt sorrow... I hate the fact that I was laying there in rebellion against my God, culminating in a change of behavior. So, when we examine ourselves, how do we know if we've repented? Think about it. If repentance is the key, if repentance is critical, how do I know if I've really repented? How do I know if I truly, when I die, am going to be with the Lord forever? How do you know that? Whether that happens tomorrow, and I pray that it doesn't, 
or in 10 years or 30 years or 70 years, how do I know that I'm okay with God and I'm going to pass the test? And it's like Jesus knew that the readers, us, and the people who were standing there listening to him, they knew they needed to know what, what to look for. And here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 6. Here we go. He tells them a story. He tells them a parable. Then Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any fruit. He didn't find any figs. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, the gardener, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. The lousy tree is not giving us any fruit, so what should you do? What does he say? Cut it down. Why should it even be taking up space on my land? Why should it use up my soil? Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for just one more year. And I'll dig around it with my hands and I'll fertilize it and I'll put some manure underneath it. And, and, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then just cut it down. Then just cut it down. Let's identify the key players. Okay? Give me your eyes. Uh, the fig tree, who, who do you think the fig tree represents here? Any guesses? The fig tree represents the listeners. <laughs> uh, in this case, this would have been the people walking with Jesus back to Jerusalem. And at this point, almost all of them would have been Jews. Uh, almost all of them would be Israel. Uh, but I think it represents listeners throughout the ages. This is people, us, who need to repent. You tracking? This is everybody who needs to repent. And who needs to repent? What's the answer? Everybody. <laughs> the landowner, who would be the landowner here? Any thoughts? A um, couple different thoughts. Some say it's God the Father. Um, and some people say the gardener is Jesus Christ. Others say, no, this is... This is God and his two of his natures, his justice and his mercy. So you can take your choice. I kind of like the fact that maybe the landowner is God the Father and the gardener is Jesus. But the two natures make sense as well. So what's this little parable saying? You ready? If there's no fruit on the tree, if there's no figs and and there really should be figs and fruit on the tree, then the tree needs to get cut down. Okay, I get that. Uh, no fruit, and after a time, uh, if there still is no fruit, the Lord will be patient, but after a time, He's going to say, okay, it's time to cut the tree down. I think what Jesus is saying here is, Father, I've got one more year here. I think this is like year two, and he's been with them now, and he's saying, I got one more year with them, Father. Let me keep working on this tree. Father, let me keep working on them. I'll dig in with my hands. I'm going to loosen up the roots. I'm going to find some fertilizer and put it underneath the roots. Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to water it. I'm going to make sure this tree starts to grow. Why? Because until we repent... Till we run to the cross, till we, by faith, give me your eyes, receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, until we 
say, I do by faith, the Holy Spirit is not a part of our lives. And until the Holy Spirit is a part of your life, you're and I cannot, will not, not, incapable of having any fruit. Make sense? The only way we're going to get fruit in our lives is if the Holy Spirit has come and taken residence. In our, and that only happens after you repent and you run to the cross and you say yes to Jesus. Okay? But I like this. Our God is gracious. He said, you know what? Okay, I'll give you another year. Gardener, I'll give you another year. I'll be patient, but know this, the Lord's patience doesn't go on forever. There is a point at which he said, that's enough. Uh, clearly, this tree should have produced fruit. This, this tree should have repented already. Uh, and it's not going to go on forever. But in the meantime, Jesus says, you know what? I, I'm going to personally dig into your life. That's how much I love you. And I proved it on the cross for all of eternity. And I'll dig into your life, and I'll loosen up the roots and the attachments to the, to the ground, and I'm willing to get into your life and dig in. And even if i got to put some manure around on the bottom of your life, I'm willing to do that. And I won't even ask if anybody of you noticed a little smelly stuff around your life. That very well may be Jesus trying to get our attention. Because when we get too attached to this fallen world, give me your eyes, when I get too attached, my focus, my passion, my priorities are all about the, the, the fun little things this world has to offer instead of Jesus. When that's what I'm all about, you know what happens to our fruit? It begins to dry up. When I'm all about this world and I'm not walking with Jesus, my priority isn't living for Jesus, the fruit vanishes. <laughs> And it starts to go away. And as the fruit vanishes, people quit seeing Jesus in our everyday lives. Make sense? This little light of mine. You want to sing with me? I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it, let it, let it, let it. Hide it under a... No, no, don't do that. Why? Because your fruit's not shining. People can't see that you're walking with Jesus. And how does that happen? Go back. When, when, when my life is too firmly rooted in this world, um, the fruit dries up. The fruit goes away. And suddenly they're not seeing our light shining. We're, we're, we're hiding it with a bushel. Three things to close, okay? Three uh, conclusions, if you will. First, if Jesus doesn't return and set up his kingdom soon, here's what every one of us has in common with each other. Go ahead. You can look at your neighbor to your left. You can even turn around. Usually you're not allowed to turn around in church, are you? Yeah. Okay. I just want you to look and see who's around you. This is what we all have in common. If the Lord doesn't come back soon, here's what we share in common. We're all going to die. Isn't that true? Every one of us, if the Lord doesn't, everybody we've ever known um, is eventually going to die. Now, Jesus is clear here. The most important thing is, since we're all going to die, here's, here's the key question. Have you repented? Have you had a recognition where you realize, I am a great sinner, 
and I realize that my sin needs a solution. I have a heartfelt sorrow for my sin, and now I'm willing to run to Jesus and go the opposite direction. And Lord, now I'm, I'm going to follow you. I, I, I'm all in. I, I'm going to follow you. That's what repentance is. I was going that direction, but now I'm going to follow you, Jesus. A change in behavior, a change in direction. Have you repented? Second conclusion. Next time you hear of some disaster, some tragedy, let's try not to quickly say, who's at fault here? Who, who did the wrong thing? Who, who's the bad person? Wow, for that, that awful thing to have happened, they must be, they must be a great sinner. Uh, I, I would encourage, instead of wondering if those awful sinners deserved what they got, remember that we're all great sinners in, deserve of, in deserving of judgment, deserving of all, all the stuff that maybe they're experiencing. We all deserve that. Use the news of tragedy and suffering to say, Lord, how am I doing with you? I want to examine myself, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Lord, I want to see, how, how am I doing with you? Is there evidence? Is there fruit? Is your spirit active and alive in my life? If somebody put me on trial that I'm a Christian, is there enough evidence that I'd get convicted? Or would they say, uh, we, we don't think you're really a Christian because there's no evidence. There's no fruit. There's nothing to show for it. Third, and we're, uh, we're done. Car accidents, airplane disasters, floods, tornadoes, heart attacks, strokes, violent crime, cancer. When those happen, it's common, it's normal for us to say, why? Lord, why? Why are you allowing us to go through this kind of stuff? Because bad things happen even to the most godly and most committed. If you don't get anything else, bad stuff happens even to the strongest followers of Jesus. But Jesus does seem to point to one answer for all of us. Okay? When bad things happen, here's the answer, okay? Hebrews 4.16, Jesus says, Run to me in your time of crisis. Run to me in your time of trouble, and I'll give you grace and mercy to deal with with your time of need. Did you catch that? Here's the one thing Jesus says. He doesn't explain why. I think that's what eternity is going to be about. We get to listen to him explaining things. But he says, in the meantime, when you're going through trouble and trial and great times of need, come running to me and I'll give you grace and mercy to help you through your time of need. And Psalm 23, 4 says, and even when you walk through the dark valley of life. Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. Think about it. So when we're facing tragedy and suffering and pain, Jesus says, um, I'm not necessarily going to tell you the reason why, but I am going to walk through that valley with you. And I'll be right at your side. And, and I'll even give you comfort and mercy and goodness all the days of your life. And then when our lives end, whether Pontius Pilate kills us or whether a tower falls on us or a tornado rips through our house 
or we die a, a, a wonderful old age at 97, we, we just quietly fall asleep and, and go be with... No matter what. And then when our lives end, Jesus says, and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? How long was that again? I'll dwell with you all your days, walk through the valleys, and then you'll come and dwell with me in my house forever. Forever. That's the answer Jesus gives. Bad things happen in a fallen and a sinful world. Have you repented? Are you ready? When you breathe your last earthly breath, are you ready for what happens next? Jesus is saying that's the most important thing. Let's pray. Lord, I realize in a group of this size that some here this morning, right now, are in pain. Some here this morning um, are in the middle of tragedy. Some are suffering. Some are dealing with death. Some are in great need. Uh, there's situations going on right now that are overwhelming and stressful and painful. And we're grateful for the answer you give us. Lord, I want to pray for my friends who are in that situation right now. Overwhelmed, stressed, pain, suffering, confusion and chaos going on. Anybody say, that's me today. Would you pray for me? Yeah. Others. Anybody else? Just pray for me. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you walk up front. I just really just want to pray for you this morning. Anybody else? That's me. Yep. Some bad stuff's going on. Uh, tornado is ripped through. And uh, not good. Anybody in the balcony? That's me. Lord, we're grateful that you invite us to come running into your presence. And you promise that when we come to you in our time of need, that you'll offer us the grace and the mercy we need to face whatever it is my friends are facing. Thank you. And thank you, Lord, that you even walk at our side every step through the valley even the worst and darkest valleys of life you're right at our side you're with us you comfort us and Lord help us to remember that whenever we breathe our last breath whether that's soon or a lot of years from now that your children get to dwell with you forever. Lord, that brings us lots of comfort. We realize that uh, this world we're passing through is short-term and temporary, and the stuff that really matters with you is eternal. And finally, I, I just want to ask, have you repented? Have you recognized uh, your great sin? And recognize that uh, I don't want to just hang there in my sin, but I need to have heartfelt sorrow and run to Jesus Christ, the only solution 